It reminds me of the kind of classic trope in like bad work environments, you know, where the manager comes in and says, I'm going to need this done by the end of day. And the person's like, that's literally like, I can't, that's impossible. And they say, just find a way. And they walk off, you know, like that's what it, that's <laughs> called. That's called good management. Yeah. <laughs> hey everybody. Welcome to episode 412 of Coffee with Butterscotch, the game dev comedy podcast of Butterscotch shenanigans. I'm Seth and I'm the games programmer. I'm Adam and I'm the miscellaneous programmer. I'm Sam and I'm the artist. And this is a show where we talk about life, business, and working in the games industry. Today is April 21th, 20 mm. Jubilee. And before we get started, we have a warning there's going to be profanity in this show. And we'd also like to thank our recurring supporters over at pod, sorry, at moneygrab.bscotch.net. <laughs> Although you can get there through podcast.bscotch.net. Basically, just go to bscotch.net, and then somehow we'll get your money. All just roads. Don't even, don't even worry about it. Yeah, all roads lead to your money in our pockets. It's just a good deal. Yeah, that's just business. Ideally. Okay. Yeah. Uh, now, what we're going to do today is question, question getting, question apocalypse. Okay? Uh, yeah, and you might podcast, think that means answering just an enormous number of questions, but you would be wrong. Probably one yeah. question, two tops. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But we will answer those few questions enormously. Yeah, exactly. So don't even worry that's about the it. Part. Uh, <laughs> so these questions come from our listeners at podcast.bscotch.net. And if you'd like to get your question on to a future episode, you can go there, ask, and people can upvote them. So we, we try to, you know, go down go down the list. Highest upvoted first. So ask good ones. And maybe yeah. we'll maybe we'll do it. Uh, highest upvoted question comes from John Flavin, who says Sam mentioned on episode 409 that he had met with a life coach for about a year. I've considered doing that as well and wanted to hear more about his motivation for having done that. Why did he start and why did he stop? Mm, that's good. I, would, I think about what a life coach does as sort of um, looking the opposite direction that a therapist looks. So therapists typically you go talk to because you're like, I got some shit that I know I need to deal with in my past. You know, or yeah. like, hey, here's and your therapist this. is like, how does that make you feel? Yeah. And you're like, like, tell me about bad. your mother. And you're like, yeah, OK. So and then <laughs> yeah. the life coach is more oriented on like the future and goal oriented part of stuff. So it's, it's just like it's basically a therapist for your future is the way I think about it. Um, though, of course, you know, going to therapy is very good for your future also. So, you know. Yeah, just facts. They're, yeah, they're just they're just different lenses of sort of like figuring your shit out. Yeah, basically. yeah, exactly. <laughs> different approaches. So uh, the reason I started going was because this is around when I was, I think, 28 or 29. And I'd mentioned, I think, in one of the previous episodes talking about art stuff about this period of time. I went into kind of a bit of mix of burnout, being tired of people, being tired of uh, sucking at art or just being hard, if that makes sense. Like just I could still I could generate it, but it always felt very challenging to do. And it felt like, you know, when I was sitting in a room full of uh, programmers, since I was the only art person on the team that, you know, I'd see them find these additional tools, be able to write these scripts to automate parts of their work. And then I was over here just line by line, struggling sort of a vibe. Yeah. Every new piece of art is just as hard as the last <laughs> yes. one, if not harder. Yeah. Uh, and so I I was getting a little frustrated with with that kind of you know, sitting in that particular space and then had that recurring feeling of, of, is this, is this all there is? Which, yeah. You're like a quarter life crisis kind of thing where you're like, yeah. Also, you know, you kind of hit these points where if you've been doing something for a long time and you kind of cast forward and you're like, exactly five years from now, 10 years from now is 
this shit going to be just exactly the same? Mm-hmm. And is that going to be true for 20 years, 30 years? Yes. Uh, it's it's not – it's it's kind of demotivating. Yeah. And so I think the problem is if you get in that particular mode, it's hard – would call it like a depressive state, but it's it's hard to it's hard to adopt a different kind of a lens, you know, to kind of dig yourself out of that viewpoint. Because um, essentially, what I realized through you know working with this this guy was uh, was just that it was just a dumb question, frankly. You know, like you could orient your life around certain questions, right? And the question I had at the time was, "Is this all there is?" Which is just one of the dumbest questions I think you could actually be fixated on. Um, We're all I mean taught that, that it's like a you know, important, meaningful, deep, smart question, right? Because it's yes. like, it's a trope that you just see your whole life, right? Is well, but, like but that's the, I think finding it's meaning to, and all this kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but it's important to recognize where that feeling comes from, which is that that for the entire first chunk of your life until you're probably like 25 or so, there is a milestone. Yes, right. It's There's like, a next new thing coming. Yeah, like you're going to the next grade or the next uh, semester, and like there's big, uh, there's big chunks of time. Where it's like, oh, there'll be like a summer break, or like you're starting the new year, or oh, you you can drive now. You got your license. You you're 21. You can drink mm-hmm. You know? mm-hmm. <laughs> or whatever. Like there's all these there's all these these benchmarks in the future where you're like, oh yeah, once that happens, something's going to be different. Right. Right. And once you get into your mid twenties, those benchmarks literally just completely stop coming. Yes, <laughs> there's no like sudden thing that'll that'll happen later. Uh, which is yeah, which is where it's like you you start casting forward and you're like, wow, like I guess this is it. Yeah, I do. We're, we're done now. Yep, I do this work <laughs> thing every day. It kind of looks the same, and you know I, I can't get these kind of uh, automation gains that I see my peers getting basically on the programming side. So like I guess I guess scrolling on a tablet is sort of the just the rest of my life now, sort of a thing. Um, so that's. But essentially, the question I came to him with to start with, I said, "Hey, here's where I'm at. I'm just stuck in this particular feeling, and I don't. I need some assistance processing it and basically creating a different frame going forward." Like I, I knew what the problem was. I couldn't figure out how to escape it. Right. Um, and then through, I think I did it for like like six to twelve months or so, uh, differing frequencies over the time, every two weeks, sometimes every four weeks, whatever. Um, just these hour long chats where it would be, you know, he essentially just provides some kind of. Uh, challenge for me to go do big or small that was kind of in line with basically just slowly dismantling that weird lens that I had gotten kind of stuck in. Um, so again, it's, it's, it's essentially therapy. It's just, you call it something else, I guess, to make it not, not therapy. Um, yeah. I, I really <laughs> like the, the, the term that, that people use for this kind of mode is being stuck in a rut. Yes. Which I really like because, uh, you know, that where that visual comes from is like, uh, you know, old uh, like dirt roads and stuff where you'd have like wagons that would go down the same path and they would kind of wear these like trenches and these ruts into mm-hmm. the road. And at a certain point, like if you're if you're going down this road and you're wag- like the ruts get too deep because it's the path has been traveled so many times mm-hmm. that at some point you can no longer turn the wheels and go somewhere else because you're just like deep in this groove. Right. And I think that is something that, that happens to people, like you kind of build these ruts in your brain, mm-hmm. like you you strengthen all these these neural pathways for habits and, and routines and stuff. And you kind of at this point where you realize like every day is kind of the same, but also you can't seem to fathom doing literally anything differently. Yep. You know? yep, yep. And you want things to be different, but there's something there's like a big the routine is just it just seems impossible. I mean, I think it's know? part of the core curse of being a person, which is the hedonic treadmill, right? Yes. Yeah. Which is that no matter no matter what's going on, if things stop 
changing or even continue changing, but only in the same way, right? Either way, your brain is just after a while, I was just like, but I've seen this before. I no longer care. Now I'm depressed, right? And it's kind of like, it's kind of a, <laughs> yeah, a you, yeah, you crave novelty all yeah, the time. It's kind of a, yeah. it's kind of a bizarre curse uh, in, in many ways, especially because of how we've set up society too, right? Where it's like when, when you're growing up and young, we're trying to get you ready to be in the world, right? At least in theory. And it's so, important for you to learn all these different things. Yeah, so you're things, just like you know? confronted constantly by new stuff and you're moving through it, right? But the, the actually the sort of the indicator of success that you've made it, right, is when everything is fine now and nothing is changing, right? Like you've, you've now, you've not, you're now like through like the first part of getting a job and now you've got a stable income. you got a stable home situation. Like everything becomes stable, right? And stable means unchanging, right? Uh, and well, that, was, that was something I had to fight with too, is that I could feel the the conflict happening to me um, a few years into working with the studio mm -hmm, um, mm -hmm. where I knew that like, this is what I wanted. Like I was able to have the life that I wanted to have, that nobody was putting a certain pressure on me, right? And I was really content and satisfied with like the life that I had, but I could also feel my brain chafing against the sort of security. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I guess the weird thing is like the, the reality is we're all, you're all driving toward a point where, yeah, you, where you've arrived, where you're secure or whatever else. But I think, uh, you have to recognize that being only secure is not completely healthy either. Like essentially being static, right? You can become very stagnant, um, or it feels very yeah, stagnant. You, you, yeah. You can't, you can't grow if nothing changes because you don't experience any new ideas or, or things yes. to synthesize into your, into your mindset. Yes. You know? So basically where I came out of, um, I'll give an example of like one of the, but I think it was a silly thing that I did during that time as one of those like little challenges, um, which is I was just working on, like I have a pretty intense codependent streak in me, which is to say that, I don't mean that it, people use that word uh, negatively, but I'm just describing sort of what it is like to be me, which is other people's, the outside world and other people's feelings uh, just sort of, they, they kind of just permeate in really easily. And so I then naturally want to make sure that everybody else is doing okay. And it is basically, it becomes very emotionally important for me to make sure that someone else is emotionally well, right? Right. Because if you pick up on that somebody is distraught, then you are instantly distraught yes, as well. Exactly. And you're like, I have to make this person not feel that way so I can yes. stop feeling yeah. <laughs> so. So while I worked on you know that particular Which thing, yeah, you know, that's good. Like that's it sucks that you have like that 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 permeates through so easily. But also like it's good that you uh, kind of have this internal compulsion to help people, whether you want oh, yeah. to. Oh yeah, yeah. It's, it's very it's very useful in uh, in social settings and stuff. It's the reason why you know I enjoy schmoozing and I'm I'm good at it. You know, because um, I could just detect what what's going on with people. But the place where it got uh, very frustrating is uh, you know if you have say something that you want to do some way you want to assert yourself that could make someone else uncomfortable. And in my mind, that is even just like violating the script. So in my case, mm. really, really simple example of this. And one of the like, ways that I challenged it was uh, I had always wanted to do that thing where you go to like a drive-through and you buy your stuff and then you buy the stuff for the person behind you. Now this sounds like that should be like, why are you even thinking about it? It sounds like just a nice thing to do. Right. However, it's a script change for the cashier. Like you have to be like, you have to essentially say, hey, don't do what you normally do. Do this other thing instead. And they got to be like, what? You know? Um, yeah. And then, of course, you also have the case where like someone it's might at some point is going to be like, I'm not, you know, I'm not going to pay for the person behind me because I don't know what the fuck they got. Um, so you have to like, you basically have to be okay with that, for those facts, right? 
And so I would literally, I would go to the, I would drive through, uh, there's like a Starbucks near me. And so I, the challenge was for this month was like, go there and do that thing, you know, do it. And I would just go buy like a latte or some shit, you know? And then the first time I went to go do it, I could, like, I literally couldn't. I got to the window and I couldn't do it, which sounds insane. Cause like I've given, <laughs> I've given toxic GDC at this point. Like I can, I can, it's not that I'm anxious about. Yeah, but of course, like giving a talk at GDC, like that's part of the plan. Exactly. Your, your people need to give talks that you are, you applied, you were chosen. There's a process. There's a, as a path, you know. Yes. You're not violating anybody's expectations by just doing exactly what you were supposed exactly. to do. <laughs> and so like asserting yourself basically was the, the challenge I had. And so slowly, that, yeah. it literally took, I think it was like three trips over a couple of days before I actually did it, you know. And then it was like such a high that I, I would like occasionally sort of, you know, return it and do this thing again. And it was, it's weird because it's like, again, it's like a small, dumb example of this, but it was a way to kind of crack into it. And so that's, again, what this guy kind of offered was a few of these ways to kind of like find, find these little behaviors that you set in where you are calcifying yourself and just like get a little, you know, a little hammer, just kind of like tap the thing. Um, so after, after, you know, basically a year or so, year and some change, then I kind of felt like I was, I was through with it because I no longer was fixated on that particular question. Um, and a big part of that is where I, I basically managed to kind of, we were talking about burnout a few episodes ago. Um, I managed to step my vision for myself upward a bit in terms of layers of abstraction. So that's when I, that's when I started diving very intensely into what it meant to be like a, a, a game, either a game producer or a game director, you know, depending on how you want to call them, um, researching all well, sorts of I stuff. Think, wasn't that this was also kind of around the time that you started taking art classes and yes, Yep. Stuff like it all that. kind of came so, as something. Once. Yeah, and something that I think I think you had kind of gotten into the into the mindset of was a, a pretty strong like self handicapping mode when it came to the art where mm -hmm. you were like I'm I'm always just going to use a mouse I'm just going to use the same piece of software I'm not going to like go make art uh, for the sake of learning more art mm -hmm. I'm just going to do it I'm just going to do it as needed like a just in time art delivery service for our games and and there was a long time where even like after Crashlands came out where you still wouldn't refer to yourself as an artist, yes. right? Yeah, it took a while. Um, and so all that stuff is kind of a way to kind of like absolve yourself of of fully committing to it and also giving yourself kind of a, a fallback excuse. If you do happen to make something that you don't think looks very good, mm -hmm. you could be like, well, that's just, I'm not an artist. Like I'm just some guy who happens to make art for this. Yeah, for yeah I mean, this it, it was very much, it was choosing, <laughs> it's choosing the kind of, warm but stagnant living of being secure instead of a bit more of that on the edge growth mindset sort of stuff right yeah because like, if you're if you're not an artist then everything you make is way beyond expectations <laughs> exactly. you know but if you are an artist then you have to start to have standards and a, and a much yeah. more critical eye and you have to think like wouldn't would some would an artist have made yeah, this thing yeah, you know <laughs> um and it, it changes your perspective but you didn't really start to take on that mantle no it was through this process talking to this life coach and stuff like that because yeah. it's you know you just you got to get you got to get uncomfortable to grow yep and that also means uh you know looking at like reframing how you're looking at your own experiences your own expectations and and how you're thinking about your skills and all of that you know and, it, and a lot of that is kind of ego bruising sometimes oh 100 i think it you has know, to be like yeah yeah but you have to recognize you know and i, I also kind of feel this way like there have been times where i've talked to people who say like oh yeah like i want to i want to like get into lifting or something and i'll go to the gym with them and they can't help 
and I'll be like teaching them how to go through the machines and stuff like that. And they can't help but look at how much weight other mm. people are doing on the same exercises, right? And it's like you, you don't see where they started. And oh, yeah. it's really easy to look at exactly where you are and just be like, wow, like this is bad, right? Uh, even just by the numbers, like, well, I'm at like half of what these other people mm-hmm. are doing. Um, but as soon as you start uh, judging yourself that way, as opposed to just being proud of taking the time to work through the process, you know, then you're just going to keep, uh, you're going to keep bruising your own ego when really yeah, just ideally you see <laughs> yeah other and we talked about this in the past too right another sort of uh, question context but but the more you can frame your own your own sort of status along any dimension as just relative to your own status and where it was previously mm-hmm. right yeah and use other people not-, not even as benchmarks but just as examples of possible outcomes right mm-hmm. or even just yeah. examples of alternative processes you can use that's yeah. I, think I mean, that, yeah, yeah, I think yeah, yeah, I think they're similar, right? Yeah, it's it's yeah. it's yeah. basically seeing like, oh, that's like this is cool. Like basically serving humanity as a source of inspiration, not a source of metrics by which to find yourself lacking, <laughs> right? Yeah, so well, you can then go to the gym and see like some enormous, huge, jacked person, right, and be like, oh, like how did there they might be a way, there might be a path for me to yeah. get from where I am to there, right? And that may may or may not be true because body types differ, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and then you get and, and you, then and you usage get, of drugs. You and- get to ask the question, <laughs> yeah, right. But then you get to ask the question, which is the cool thing, right? You get to ask yourself, like, do I want that? Mm-hmm. Can like, and can I? Is that even possible because of my circumstance, right? And so, do I want it? Is it possible? And then, how would I do that? Yeah. And then you can try to if you want to, but you also have the option. I think this is the part that people fall flat on, is of looking at that and being like. I don't want. That. I love the idea of that outcome, yeah. but I really don't want to do the stuff that yeah. gets me there, right? Which is where, like, that's yeah. where I am. For like, I've become very oh. comfortable just like taking that position on tons of stuff because there's there is the stuff that I really want to be good at, and that's what I put my time into. And I just have to recognize that I have finite time. Mm-hmm. You know, it's just it's just can't, a fact. I've got finite can't time. Can't do everything. No, and so if the, so if I focus like all the time I want to in this into the stuff I really care about, I just can't also put focus into mm-hmm. other stuff that I don't care about as much. Right. And there's things that you can so, want, yeah. right? You can, I think it's things like you could, you can look at, yeah, you can want it. You could want be like, it, it would be nice if I was yeah. super jacked, you know, but do you yeah, actually we'd all love to have a six pack? Yeah. Know? But, but like, do you actually enjoy the process? Am I going to do that? Or can you figure out how to, I guess the one we talked about previously, can you figure out how to enjoy the process? And that was a big piece of it for me is like realizing that I think through, through the gateway of some of that art education that I did online, um, during this time too, then I both got words to talk about stuff that I've been doing for a long time. I was able to actually scrutinize my own work instead of just having either myself or other people be like, it doesn't look very good. And then being like, I don't know what to do about that. Cause I can't talk about it. can't figure it out. <laughs> um, that's, that's it's just, it's what it is. I don't even know how I yeah. got there. And then, you know? and then the big one for me was realizing that, so people talk a lot about art style and this word style comes up just, just all the damn time when you're mm-hmm. looking at, trying to get better as an artist. People are trying to like, well, I'm trying to find my style. And it was this realization for me that came from some of the classes as well as just a bunch of these YouTube you know, art videos I was watching that style is not a thing you can do. It's the end result of a particular process for solving problems visually. That's it. So mm-hmm. if you follow a process, you will get a particular kind of an output. And it was this weird thing where I was like, oh, that means that in order to grow your own style, what you're actually, what you actually need to do is basically refine and expand your process in a way that gets you closer to whatever it is that visual target is that you want. Right. So I started then looking at, you know, uh, Photoshop 
documents provided by some animators and stuff like that that had artwork there we'd like to see just like how are they constructing things what's their layer like what layers are they using and have all these layers and digital art and stuff um and then started doing experiments with those to see like okay what happens if i do something kind of similar to that borrow this idea of how you color shadows or how you handle flats in your paintings whatever else and then out of that then things started kind of coming together where it was it basically was taking this idea at a thing that seemed like a very lofty thing that you're always trying to get at but you don't again you don't have any mechanism by which to do it you don't actually understand what you're trying to do and they're basically mm-hmm. blowing it up and saying um and actually describing what it really is which is not the big fancy output, but the actual, the result of a billion tiny inputs that you can actually study and change. Um, and that kind of, you know, that was a, that was just a big, I think, uh, moment for me in that whole process of trying to get out of that rut and re- recognizing that like, oh, okay, things aren't, things are only look uh, stagnant because I'm dumb. <laughs> <laughs> Does that make sense? Like, I'm so dumb that I don't understand what it is I'm flailing up against. Instead of asking a question, instead of pausing and asking a question, what am I flailing up against? I've just been asking a different question, which is like, why is this flailing getting me nowhere? And it's, again, dumb question, the wrong question. So, But but you also like, I feel like you did on some level know because you did talk a lot about process early on. I did, but I I, I didn't, you know, there's, it's basically that um, Dunning-Kruger problem. Right. Like you thought that you had thought a lot about yes. your process. Yes. But just because you were like, processes are important. Yes. Uh, and you recognize that, but then you kind of didn't go far enough into it. Kind of it's more like I, I was focused on the technical process, like the, the minutia of the execution, you know, hotkeys. Uh, like how to how to do things fast, but and that does that does it is part of style actually. It does end up you know coming out in the style in certain ways. But I wasn't I wasn't recognizing the tie between other higher level elements in terms of how you're organizing your thought process or whatever else and the result in terms of the style that comes out. Um, right. But yeah, so I think I think that's just you know, finding a way to pivot to a better question is I think the key. And I unfortunately a big part of that is realizing that you're asking the wrong question, which you can spend a very long time asking the same question over and over again. Well, it's also it's changing the focus from like you may you may have a goal in mind right but it's changing the focus mm-hmm. from the goal itself to just the process right it's it's like it's Correct. one of the it's one of the things that i like to try to constantly reframe for myself as well right is is the it's just it's just that simple idea that if like that every outcome is just as you said a result of the process that you took to get there right mm-hmm. and if you focus then on making the process and making the work good and satisfying and the kind of thing that leads to that outcome, right? Yes. Then the outcome becomes a side effect that you don't have to like pay really pay attention to anymore. Right. And so I think about like mm-hmm. that for the studio where the studio's job is to make, is to become the kind of team that is able to make games that can be successfully sold and win awards and that kind of stuff. Right. Mm-hmm. Like that's, so the goal of the studio isn't to make games and sell them. It's yep. to be able to, right. And, and then if we can, then of course we will, right? That's just a side effect of, of that fact. And, and so if we can't, then, you know, that's a problem. <laughs> yeah, well, then, yeah, then it definitely won't happen, right? So well, it's actually, I mean, the way that you're talking about this, something I've been thinking about a lot is, is that the idea of like zooming out into further and further layers mm-hmm. of abstraction, because yes. one of the things that, um, that I, I spent a lot of time talking with my, my wife about in her former company that she was at is, is they always talked about their revenue goals just mm-hmm. all, all day, every day. It was like, we need to make this much money this year. This is our revenue target. This is our revenue target. And every conversation just revolved around revenue. Um, 
which is which is even further like downstream mm-hmm. in terms of outcomes, right? Because it's like, okay, as a as a company, you have processes that you're going to do. Those processes enable you to to create a product or deliver a service, right? And then it's and then you also need to figure out how to sell that service, mm-hmm. and then the revenue comes in, right? Um, and so it's like it's like two step two layers away from what you're actually doing is right. is the revenue. You, you don't get to just be like you don't get to our decide. goal is our goal is to generate revenue. And then you then you just generate revenue. Like that's not a verb that you do. It's like a multi layered. Yeah. It reminds me of the kind of classic trope in like bad work environments. You know where the manager comes in and says, "I'm going to need this done by the end of day," and the person's like, "That's literally like I can't. That's impossible." And they say, "Just find a way." And they walk off. You know, like that's what it. <laughs> that's called. That's called good management. <laughs> that's, that's what it feels like. Though, right? It's like it's like inspiring. Yeah, as you just take some goal that basically is disconnected from reality, and then and then you just say, "I don't know, make it happen," right? Like that's what this revenue target thing is, right? Like you don't talk about how or why like that goal is, and it's it is so disconnected from the reality of actually doing the work but you just well, say to, like go figure it out i guess i don't know to the point about you know going to the gym having a very physical and obvious sort of uh, version of this like it's it's going to the gym and seeing that person who's very very you know jacked and being like we're gonna get there and then that's that's the yeah. end of and the that's process all you and you're not really looking at like what exercises you're doing yeah. or how often you're going you just how keep looking thinking? at this jacked person and being like why am i not there yeah or mm-hmm. what kind of body <laughs> type you have if it is it even does it even make sense you know yeah is this person like a, a seven foot tall viking jacked up on steroids you know and, and yeah so on uh, the on the game <laughs> side then you see the same thing which is if you just say like we're gonna make we're gonna make an award-winning game it's like that's again that's that's the aspirational target which you can then you can unwind stuff out you can unwind questions out of but if you if you just sort of like leave it there and then again continue doing whatever you've been doing uh it's not gonna happen same thing with art i want to make illustrations like they're this good like trending on art station that like blow up on twitter whatever the fuck um you don't get to you don't get to do that you you can use that that's as just aspirational that's target. a hope yeah, <laughs> but you use that as a target. Yeah, it's and a side effect of what right. you actually do, which is exactly yeah, which is the word which is the art, yeah, yeah, or whatever. Yeah, right, let's go to the next question, which comes from Teal, who says, "Brother Scotchigans, you were one of the initial inspirations for me to dive into productivity and personal growth literature. Ooh. After trying a lot of things and failing at them, nice. Uh, I was discouraged <laughs> until I realized, like you lads, I have ADHD." <laughs> How have your methods for such a classic pathway to you start Uh, digging into self-help? Like, how do I help myself? What's going on? And then in the end, it turns out, oh, my brain just works different than how the world was designed. Uh, So the question is, how have your methods for deep work and or fast work changed post-diagnosis? And how does medication factor in? Mm. So I I have some some thoughts about this, which is that when I first got my diagnosis medication – Especially in that like that first month, the medication works so fucking well. <laughs> yeah. If you at one point I went back and looked at my git commit history, and you could tell something you could happened. Tell <laughs> the moment I started taking Ritalin, it was like three times the number of commits. I was refactoring shit that had been bothering me for years. I was doing stuff on week. I was, you know, I was just going. You know, it was like suddenly this weight was lifted off and I could like really focus on the things that I wanted to do. And also I could choose to ignore the things that I didn't yes. want to do, right? But over time, um, something happened 
which is that I, I got cocky. Mm. So I was taking the meds and I'm like, oh yeah, all my problems. I don't have to worry about all this shit anymore. I don't have to worry about like all these systems I used to use to keep myself on target. Even, even stuff like, you know, I was, I was really uh, focused on exercise and stuff like that because, you know, you just, you gotta, you gotta take it care helps. of your body yeah. to take care of your mind. There were all these things that I had built in my life to keep me on track. And I came to believe pretty quickly that I don't have to worry about that shit anymore. I got these drugs. Right. But the drug's efficacy is kind not constant. Is, yeah. Yeah. It declines. It's also not and, curative, right? Like it makes right. it easier to manage your ADHD, but it doesn't like – you still have ADHD. You still have symptoms. Your brain still works that way, right? It just yeah. makes it easier to deal with. Yeah. And so what I kind of found was that actually like because up until that point, I had done a pretty good job of, of paying really close attention to my routines and my systems and my to-do lists and my wellness and all that. Then once I added the drugs in, then it was like I was super powered, right? Mm -hmm. But then over the next six months, the only thing that I had going for me was the drugs because everything else just totally fell off, right? Um and at that point, I was actually doing far worse than I was before, before I had the, the drugs. So, you know, it's kind of a learning process of realizing, like, I shouldn't be, there's, there is no silver bullet. There is no, like, just do this thing and now you're, you're good to go. It's, it's, it's a continuous refinement and process. And also, like, your systems and the ways that you're managing your work and all that stuff, um, there, it's never a solved problem. It's always in response to a bunch of other things that you're working on, and you have to constantly check in with it. Yeah, yeah. just I think, just for because I think it's important to have like multiple examples, especially for people who want to seek treatment, maybe, but are worried about what the outcomes look like. Right? Uh, for me, it was actually kind of the opposite, uh, which was which my normal like habits and maintenance systems and so on. Like mostly, it just depends on the fact that that I get to trust that the stuff that I'm interested in and can focus on is useful enough. Right, that I can just let my brain do what it wants. Like that's my actual. That's like that's how I get around in the world, right? Um, because you, co you coast on your brain on the winds of your brain. Yeah, because all systems winds. management like just drives me. It just I don't like I I can't pay attention to the system management, right? So I like I rely on not having to have systems by you know focusing on programming, automating things so I don't have to do them ever again. You know, and like and then focusing just on what I'm interested in. And when I started on Adderall, I was actually able to do more stuff in the to manage the rest of my life. I was actually able because like because I got above that threshold where I could mm. do a better job of tracking what I was even supposed to be doing in the first place of doing things that I didn't want to do. Right? It uh, let you stop focusing on the moment to moment doing and yeah. zoom out and and like plan do some more. other kinds of stuff that normally I, I just wouldn't. And so uh, yeah, so I mean, you can have like any of these kinds of. Every single person's situation with these things is just completely fucking unique, right? Yeah, yeah. I think my my first year or so afterwards felt like a kind of a weird magical time because it also was, it was synced with the pandemic, and so going from I my time got very big. It felt like I felt like I just suddenly had shitloads of time where previously Your days yeah, were just very long. Yeah, because <laughs> it's like you previously you even with the commute and whatever else. Um, you know, even going to the, like, I didn't go to the gym for a year, but I just went for runs and stuff, which are you know, 20 minutes here and there. Um, there was, I think, an ability to, to actually fucking relax that I have had, had never experienced, which is weird to say because it's like, oh, yeah, I'm on a bunch of stimulants. I can finally relax. Um, yeah, you know you have ADHD when you take your Adderall and then go take a nap, you know? Like that's, yeah, or, yeah. <laughs> or you can, not even just on the nap, thing, but, like, I could, I could play video games in the evenings and just completely enjoy it and not, 
constantly be thinking about the stuff that I wasn't doing, you know? You mean constantly being forced to think about the things yeah, that you Yeah, exactly. Because yeah. it's not, yeah, the, the thing about when I, when I try to like describe uh, ADHD to people, it's basically like you're, every person has thresholds for what their brain considers something to be urgent and therefore needing you to think about, right? Mm-hmm. And for, for someone without ADHD, that threshold is just a bit higher, Right. And so it's like you're you're able to put things out of your mind and be like, eh, that's fine. I, I'm not going about that. And you literally can just not worry about it for a while. Right. But that threshold is so much lower um, for somebody with, with ADHD that your subconscious mind just keeps popping in. It just, yeah, it just keeps thrusting things into the mm-hmm. foreground, even while you're doing something else. And sometimes it'll, it'll bring three, four, five things into the foreground at the same time. And so people with ADHD will often like do stuff like make lists. And you know, like, if you try to like tell them stuff that they're supposed to do verbally, at some point they'd be like, hold on, yeah, <laughs> let's slow this down and, and like talk through this one thing at a time, mm-hmm. you know, because they have to kind of get things yeah, I think of it as somewhere my brain. outside of their brain, you know? Yeah, I think of it as my brain being loud, right? And that yeah. Adderall just sort of turned the volume down a bit. It was, it was It was just as like... Like it was still the same amount of stuff. Like it was like I, I couldn't think of it as just like a cacophony of my own voice, you know, but mm-hmm. telling me about different things, right? Uh, is like the best like kind of model for it. So it's like it's like being in a restaurant where everybody is me and they're all looking at me, you know, but it's like the noise <laughs> of a restaurant, you know, right? Uh, and just like telling me about all the things I should be thinking about and working on, and like half formed ideas and you know whatever flying around. And for me, it didn't actually like pair that back. It didn't like reduce the number of voices. It just reduced the overall volume so that I could, the thing I wanted to direct my attention towards, I didn't, it wasn't as constantly just like losing focus and falling back into the the the, mass. The the metaphor that I've used to try to like describe this to people is if you've been like at a, at a, a indoor public pool and you're just like chilling in the water, and you could just hear there's like just, just a trillion everything. things happening and it's all echoey and it's like and if you're trying to think then it's like there's just so many things happening but then if you just duck your head under the water so it's like and then you're just with your thoughts now and you can actually think and, and that, that to me was very much like what the Ritalin felt like it's like all of a sudden all this noise just kind of like you can still it's, it's there and you can kind of hear it but it's very muffled now and and, uh, and you can just focus on yeah. your internal dialogue. I know some people are worried about losing, because the reality is like having ADHD makes you, it sort of, it is bridged with, you know, creativity, entrepreneurism, like all, all sorts of stuff because of this problem. We call it a problem, but really it's. Yeah, you can't stop effect. thinking about things. So you do, and then you have all kinds of ideas. And yeah. You go yeah. do stuff. <laughs> so but I, I didn't experience any like loss in, uh, in that kind of creativity or whatever else. And in fact, I think because I was able to, you know, I used to spend like two and a half hours on Sundays planning my day, planning my week, every single Sunday, planning and reviewing and, and doing all this stuff. And I, like I, that's what I mean when I say like I got so much time all of a sudden it was like, instead of doing that, I would actually spend like an hour and a half and yeah, doing some well, art practice. It's also, it's not like that or... was, it's not like that was the only time you spent planning either. Like that was no, just no, no. the beginning. Yeah. You know? <laughs> every, every, every morning I would sit down Every day was like 30 minutes of going through stuff and trying to figure out what you're going to do. Yeah. That day. So, so I got to kind of, I kept my systems in place, maybe more so set than, than you had, um, during that kind of initial onset of stuff. Um, and so, but I, but I basically pulled them back quite a bit. So like that Sunday review, I still did it, but it would, it was fucking 10 minutes, you know, I was like, what am I going to do? It's like, all right. <laughs> that was fucking it as opposed to like really trying to get into it and figure out how to think up and structure it so that I wouldn't, you know, 
fall off the wagon halfway through the week and all this stuff. And well, uh, a big part of it is task switching too, right? Because a lot of it, a lot of trying to figure out what you're going to do this week or today is is you got to check in in a bunch of different places, right? Like check your calendar, list. check your email, talk to people, look at your to do list or whatever. And and um, with, with ADHD, that task switching is just like a golden opportunity to just suddenly start doing something else. Like mm-hmm. you'll you'll be like, oh, let me check my calendar, and you go do that, and then suddenly you're reading a book. Yep. Right. And it's been 10 minutes like, wait, what the fuck? And then suddenly you're on YouTube and it's, you know, and so uh, those planning sessions would take a long time, not necessarily because you're spending all that time rigorously thinking about your plan. No. It's because you're just trying to keep yourself focused on the plan, you know, Yeah, I would say, which I, the drugs think, help with. So thinking about ADHD as a lifestyle is, I think, a very useful uh, lens. And you have like, to okay. because it's literally how your brain works. It's I mean, not, you have to, but I think yeah. it's, it's, it's easy to think about it as a, uh, like a piece of like, just, I guess a, a thing you're trying to manage like a, like a, you know, small injury or, or like having a cold or something like that. And it's like, no, 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 no. Like this, framing it as a, a way of being, and then figuring out how to structure your life. Almost like if you, if you said, Hey, I'm going to go be like an Olympic gold medalist, or if, actually, there's something about, I'm going to go figure out how to be jacked in the gym. Right. You suddenly have a bunch of questions about processes and, and, um, you know, how to's that you can go interrogate to figure out how to do that better. And I think as long as you recognize that it's like, it is a way of being that is required to be effective when you have ADHD, which means that like, I don't, I don't take breaks from exercise. I don't because I can't. It'll fuck you up. I can't. Yeah. And I know like, (laughs) yeah, it's great. Other people could, yeah, they can go on and off the horse and that's fine. But like mentally I will be fucked up. So, so that's sort of, that's just a rule. I cannot take breaks for it. So I like to believe that I can, but I know that's a lie. Yeah. I gave up on that a while. I was like, all right, I'll just accept this fact, you know, let's go. Um, And so I think that's a big part of it. It's just recognizing, recognize the actual truths present and, and similar to Seth, you're talking about like being an artist, you know, my sort of not wanting to not wanting to own that responsibility and so distancing yourself from it in a way um right as soon as you say i am x then that comes with a set of standards and judgments requirements requirements like commitments (laughs) yeah and so it's like okay yeah if you have if you know you have adhd and you are not taking steps to say like yeah if you know that exercise for example for you works really well actually then treating it as if it's a nice to have is wildly inappropriate. It's like if, like, oh yeah, I need to drink water every day so I don't have a fucking headache, but I don't. Why? Yeah. Like, stop it. You know, like, yeah. I mean, of course, it's not that simple, right? Because it's a matter of you have to make yourself do those things still. Because one of the core features of ADHD is, is uh, you know, just because you want to do something, you, you literally oh, yeah. not like, sitting sitting in there knowing it's you not correlated with whether you yeah. do it or not. But, that's, but I think that that becomes the trick, which is figuring out how to on those core aspects of life that are most affecting of your overall, you know, state with ADHD, figuring out how to make those the sorts of things that have that kind of urgency or importance to you and you have the space for becomes the first task, really, yeah. which is, which is, but it's also, um, yeah, it's a lot of why ADHD can be so disabling too, right? Because yes, even being, sure. even being able to, to somehow yeah, make yourself that. do this stuff requires <laughs> that you have the context to do it, right? Uh, and so, yeah, I think it's one of those, like, that's, that's why that there's so much nuance in that discussion of like, is ADHD a disability or is it a superpower? Right. And the reality is it's, the answer is yes. It's yes. <laughs> the answer is yes. Yeah. Because 
Anytime, anytime the way that you, your brain or your body works differently from the way the world was designed, that's a disability now. Like definitionally, that's what it is, right? Because that means that the world isn't designed for you and you need an accommodation or many accommodations yeah, to the make world it needs work, you to right? do something. Yeah, you have to now do something hard other people for you have to do. do something to make yeah. that work, right? Yeah. But because but also because you're not average in whatever that dimension is, right? Then that also allows you to see things that other people don't, allows you to think about things in a way that they don't. It also adds these other dimensions, right? And so so stuff can just be both, right? It doesn't mm-hmm. it's not really a one or the other. But yeah, exactly how people, much it's either one of those. Just solely it depends mostly on your context and like what the environment around you looks like and if it's supportive of the kind of, you know, brain and body that you have mm-hmm. or if it isn't. Yeah, and I do think there's a there's a risk, and similarly with you know identifying as an artist or identifying as a person with ADHD, or whatever else. I, I do always find it challenging when people identify very strongly with either either one of the sides in particular. Yeah, it's like a like a one dimensional like this yeah. is this defines who I am. Yeah, or whatever. And, and most typically, you'll you know you'll see that right after you get a, a diagnosis. It's like because it's it's essentially you finding another piece of yourself and and getting language to talk about it, kind of like the art thing, right? Um, but there's a, there's a danger present in that too, which is like, you know, Adam, to your point that there's, there's frankly just too much nuance about what it means to live, you know, with, with this particular kind of a, kind of a mind in terms of the cons, the pros and cons. And it is not a sort of thing where it's like, yeah, it's just strictly better or yeah, it's just like terrible, you know, under all circumstances. Um, there's, you know, there are plenty of days or even weeks before I was even knew this what was happening, but I had like felt like I was just cruising, you know, no problems whatsoever, not for any particular reason, just like brain was just firing all cylinders and that was fine, you know. Um, there's, I, I, I think you have to watch over identifying with a piece of how you like how you are built, yeah. Right? Even I, if it's a big piece, just- yeah. And I will say that that is that is something that I think is part of the process. So I think back yes. to like my my college days. Where so you know we grew up in Iowa and uh, especially at the college that I, I went to it was it, it was there was a ton of uh, Christian religious groups on campus yes. and you know I grew up uh, we all grew up um, not not religious not like anti-religious necessarily just like it just wasn't we just weren't religious right um, but also we had we had experienced things in our family and seen things that that over time at least for me personally did make me kind of swing into the anti-religious mm-hmm. camp. And when I got to college, but also it wasn't something I thought a lot about. I was just like occasionally peeved about some of the things happening uh, that I saw religious people doing to people I cared about, you know, um, because of whatever. So so when I got to college, um, it was the first time where I, I discovered there was there were a whole bunch of other non-religious people there. And we got together and, you know, there, we had like a, a student group and it wasn't like it was it was weird because because we all uh, united on something that none of us had mm-hmm. right like normally you're like oh this is a group for knit people who like knitting right and then it's like would you form a group for people who aren't into knitting it's weird right <laughs> like that you would have like a group formed around a lack of something but but for so many of us at that time it was us kind of learning about this this piece of ourselves mm-hmm. and and in so doing, we over-identified with it and we're trying to find the the lines, like trying to find the boundaries of like what makes us different from, yes. from people who, who aren't like us. And and I think in those early stages of kind of like exploring and learning more about something about yourself, you 
you do just kind of like 100%. really overcommit and you look at everything in your life through the lens of that dimension. Mm-hmm. But over time, that kind of like fades into the background. Like it's just, it's just not something like nowadays, I just don't care. Like it's not something I think about. It's not something that I feel like is an important part of me, really. Mm-hmm. It's just, it's just kind of a, a thing. It's like a trait in the in the background. Yeah, it becomes a um, part of the mix, right? I think it's it's important to let it be part of the mix and not be like completely self defined by any one of these particular things. Whether but it's in a different artist, in a different context, if if you were more actively oppressed by a religious context, right? Then yeah. you you probably have to spend more time focusing on that side to to basically manage yourself in that new context. Oh, right? yeah. oh yeah. 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 It's, it's in the yeah, same it's way. All, like your, if yeah, if your experiences. Yeah. If you don't have good uh, support from like your workplace or your home life or like what your ADHD truths are, right. Then you end up having to like really just like really be thinking about it all the time. Right. And like, cause you have to fight for it in a lot of yeah, ways. Right? You, have to, you have to fight thing. for yeah. it. And I think, yeah, the thing that actually allows you to move from like a label first way of thinking about yourself or other people is the, is actually having had accommodations around you and an acceptance around you that allows you to start. Cause it, like, it's not that like, cause it's not that like being an atheist doesn't have an impact anymore. Right. It's mm-hmm. that, it does mean that I probably can't run for most public offices, but I didn't want to do that. Yeah, anyway. didn't want to do that. So, right? <laughs> no it, problem. It, but it does mean that, like, in a more religious society, you would just be more actively oppressed as actually the outcome, right? It's just right now, like, the because of just the, of the current society that we live in, like, uh, it's just open enough get, to the idea get to a safe space, basically. Yeah, that you're that you're actually safe, right? Like, you know, doing yeah. that, so you don't. And, have and to. a bit, I mean, something that that kind of like caused me to double down were things like we would we would just have, you know, posters to advertise to other students on campus like, hey, if you're not religious but you're looking for a, a student group because almost all the student groups were various religious mm-hmm. student groups, if you're just looking for some friends and also like you're not looking to join a prayer circle, <laughs> um, <laughs> you know, come come to our Sunday brunches, you know. And those posters would get ripped down within an hour mm-hmm. every yeah. single time, you know, because uh, people didn't didn't people from the religious student groups hated the idea that there was a group of non-religious people getting together and just having, just existing. Right. Yeah. yeah. Um, well, and that's, and that's and that, where that like, caused us to like, to double down and draw those, you know, mm-hmm. those boundaries and stuff. Yeah. Well, and also to focus more on the label itself, because it was the label that actually was the thing being attacked, right. Without yes, any nuance right. and, and so on. Right. Um, yeah. So yeah, it, yeah, well, and it's, that's it's over just, time. Nuance, nuance can creep in over time, but at the very beginning, it is very just like yes. bold lines. You know. <laughs> no, and, uh, and this is the case. Like for me, I, I would say I'm actually probably I'm probably more militantly atheistic than I ever was. Like, right. Um, mm. But how though has shifted yeah, a right, lot. Right. What right? it looks like. Yeah. yeah. In the same way that like I still have just as much ADHD as I ever did. Right. Uh, and. And how I like work with that though is like something that's like been rapidly evolving since discovering that that was an explanation for how my brain worked, right? Um, and so I think a lot of it is that it's not about necessarily like because you can't let a lot of these things go because like, like the fact that we basically because even though like we have still enough uh, societal freedom that we are allowed to be atheist right without being thrown in jail, right? Um, there's a, still a substantial fraction of people who would love to throw us in jail. Right, that are trying to pull up enough power to be able to do that someday, right? And so we don't get to just say like, "Oh, well, we're fine now," so like we can just ignore well, that. And right now, like right. we're further down on the list of people who <laughs> they true. want to throw into yeah. jail, right? Yep. And it's like they're they're 
People are trying to get people are trying to check check stuff off of that list. Right? Yeah. yeah, they're trying um, to get. So it's it's down, not yeah. something you can you know it's not something you can just ignore and be like this isn't a thing. This isn't a thing in our society. It is, uh, yeah. but there there are other there are other currently more pressing things. Going well, it's all, it's uh, just it's. I mean, that's the thing is it's always about the context. Like, so you can't like none of your traits are just traits that exist in a vacuum. They all depend on they all depend on your context and and whether or in not, the soup. Yeah, whether or not like your ADHD is a big deal depends on your specific details of of your actual just self, but at least as much depends on the environment that you're in. Um, and so that's and I mean, and the most important thing across the board for all of this is having people and like the structures around you, like in your nearest vicinity, being ones that are accommodating and actually can like are are able to go into the nuances right so that you can actually figure stuff out because like like my household double ADHD household right we've had to to actually have ourselves be happy and be happy together we've had to just change how we think about like what does it mean for the for the house to be tidy right what does it mean for it to be clean what does it mean for us to have like chores that we have to do like which are the ones that we really do have to do right uh to the point where like we have uh, not an unclean house, but we don't have a tidy house, right? Mm-hmm. And for a long time, that was something we were always like fighting ourselves and each other kind of about. Like not really, like not real fights, right? But like we were always like yeah, – yeah. little tension. Yeah, it's always like, oh, like could we stop putting piles of stuff over here? You know, could you stop doing that over there? Right? Like, and eventually you're like, no. Yeah, and eventually <laughs> like, we're like – the And the fact is like <laughs> – well, That's where the nuance comes in, right? It's like we actually like – we could just – push ourselves harder to try to maintain a more mm-hmm. tidy space, right? Or do some work structurally to see if there's some way to like, you know. Yeah, exactly. There's stuff that we could do, but what we've realized is that we don't actually care, right? There's like the threshold where we are. If you did, it would have already been taken care of, you know? Yeah, well, it's, and it's also I it's a difference of like kinds of households, right? Like once we stop buying into the idea that like your house had to look like somebody walked in and took a picture for a magazine, right? Um, and that it can look like a lived-in space, you know, like it can look like something, somebody was just in the middle of something and stopped because that's literally what happened, right? It doesn't have to be cleaned up instantly and that kind of stuff. Um, then once we started to basically kind of accept that, and especially once we learned that we both have ADHD and now had like an explanation for things, that didn't mean that, because like we could have gone to the extreme and said, okay, nobody has to clean now up anything ever. Now we're slobs. It's just, we're slobs and, it's, and we're yeah. living in a fucking <laughs> pile of garbage, right? Um, yeah. yeah. But that's the source of drives me absolutely. Yeah, that's again, that's where the nuance comes in, right? Is there's 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 this inherent unfairness with having the world not designed in a way that takes into account who you are personally, right? And that's it's one of those like you know boomer jokes or not jokes, but just the world is unfair, right? Just get used to it, kind of a thing, right? And but the nuance so, there is it's that it's always a person who is directly doing something to make it unfair. Oh yeah, who absolutely. Says <laughs> <laughs> yes, it always is. <laughs> But but that idea of like and that's the that's the thing of like coming to terms to accept is like at what point do you just accept that this is now just it just is unfair but I still have to do X right yeah and it doesn't necessarily absolve you of responsibility to note that something is unfair right, right. It's and like it's fine, but it's finding the balance because it is unfair and you shouldn't have to like when sure right and that's all true but you might still have to and trying to figure out where things are. Mm-hmm. Is I think that's the challenge, that and that's how you try to find that nuanced point. But also, that's the part that takes into account the reality that you're 
surrounded by. Yes. Yeah. All right. Well, I think that's a good, a good place to, to mm-hmm. end it. So thank you guys very much for the questions. And again, uh, keep those questions coming. We're going to try to do a better job of just focusing, focusing on those, especially at this particular time in development where things are progressing rapidly, but we're going to keep things quiet hey, about hey, hey, hey. Crash Let's Do stuff. So, uh, Thank you very much. We'd like to thank our producers, Fat Bard and Sampa DaCosta, for putting the podcast together. And thanks to our community moderators who keep our Discord running. To get more involved in the Butterscotch community, you can just go to podcast.bscotch.net, where we have links to the Discord, a way for you to donate, and links to the archives. Thank you all for listening. We'll see you next week. Goodbye. Goodbye. Goodbye.